You're listening to the Secret Muse Society, where we pull out the things we keep hidden about ourselves. What are the secrets that actually hold us back from the connection we crave? And what happens when we tap into the inspiration we have to offer the world? I'm your host, authenticity coach, Karen Choi. Let's dive in together. Hello, Muse. Welcome back. This is episode 15, and we're talking about that bitch, perfectionism. (laughs) I titled this episode Practicing the Art of Perfectionism because I'm starting to think that even the idea of overcoming perfectionism is a perfectionist thought. What do you think about that? Tell me if you've ever heard this quote. It's often attributed to Aristotle, and it sounds like this. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. Or put more simply, excellence is a habit. Dun-dun-dun-dun! I'm starting to feel kind of angry about this quote from our friend Aristotle, because excellence is a habit. How many of us have tried to make excellence our habit, which actually leads us down the road to perfectionism? My hand is up right now. And this topic is near and dear to my heart because I suffer from it. (laughs) I see my children struggling from it, my husband, my clients, my friends. It's in all of us. Where did it come from? This idea that we have to be perfect. Well, I have some ideas about where it came from, but I don't know if I'm going to go into that today. How about we start here? Perfectionism is often defined as the need to be or appear to be perfect, or even to believe that it's even possible to achieve perfection. I don't know about you, but in my life, I'm pretty sure this was programmed and conditioned into me in school. Uh, I remember doing math tests and aiming for 100%. And if you don't get 100%, you're not perfect. You didn't get the score that you're supposed to get. My dad actually even would tell me stories about how when he grew up in Taiwan, if you got, say, 98 out of 100, That's still an A plus, right? But he wasn't congratulated or praised for that 98. He was actually punished for the two answers that he got wrong. He would get smacked on the hand with a ruler two times for two mistakes. That's perfectionist bitch. Perfectionism is also often viewed as a positive trait rather than a flaw, right? Like we defend perfectionism as being healthy as a behavior that helps us be good and successful and excellent. Now, here at 42 years old, (laughs) I am starting to learn that perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to be our best. In fact, perfectionism often stops us from being our best. Perfection is not healthy achievement and growth. Perfection is daunting achievement in growth and daunting meaning stifling, daunting meaning limiting. Brene Brown, 
She distinguishes between perfectionism and healthy behavior in this way. She says, perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to be your best. Perfectionism is not about healthy achievement and growth. She explains that perfectionism is used by many people as a shield to protect against the pain of blame, judgment, or shame. Hmm. I also see perfectionism as a kind of all or nothing thinking. Remember there was an episode I did about ants? That was definitely not a perfect episode. <laughs> I did not describe it perfectly, but we started the conversation and ants, those automatic negative thoughts, one of those ants are all or nothing thinking. And that kind of thinking repeating itself in our minds so many times, we actually start believing that everything has to be perfect or bust. I'm with you on that. I struggle from that. And I've been practicing hard anti-perfectionism and it's not easy. So that's what this episode's gonna be about. How perfectionism helps us, how it gets in our way, what is at risk if we're not perfect. Let's talk about what's at risk if our perfection actually takes over everything else. And how we can practice the art of anti-perfectionism. How does that sound? Okay, how has perfectionism helped you in your life? As a parent, a partner, your health, in your career, in building your business, in your creative ventures? How has perfectionism helped you? I'm pretty sure it's helped you to attain a certain level of achievement and success. It got you this far. It helped you get the good grades in school. It helped you score the great job interview. It helped you impress whoever you were trying to impress in the moment. Hey, there is nothing wrong with wanting things to be done properly and to know what you want and try to get that result. There's nothing wrong with wanting a certain standard of quality and a desirable outcome. Perfectionism helps us get that. Perfectionism has helped me get this far. I had wonderful work. I met incredible people. I have proven myself in many areas and I have achieved many things. And now as a coach, even actually as a coach, being one-on-one with people has taught me really to throw perfectionism out the door. And hey, this is not an insult to the people I work with or coaches or the coaching industry at all. This is actually a compliment because when you are with people and holding space for their whole beings, including yourself, you realize that perfection really doesn't exist. But at the same time, it kind of does, but in a totally different way then your brain has been taught to think. How has perfectionism gotten in your way? Think again as a parent, a partner, in your health, your career, your business, your creativity, your relationships, your spirituality. I see perfectionism getting in the way at three points. And it kind of depends on the person you are and where you get to and then where you get stuck. There's some of us where perfectionism gets us stuck before. Tell me if this sounds familiar to you. You start researching and planning and analyzing and gathering data and looking at all the information. 
And then it starts becoming over-research, over-planning, over-analyzing. You never can seem to get enough data. And before you know it, the perfectionism has gotten in your way of even starting, even starting your project, even starting that conversation that you need to have. And because it keeps you in this loop of just keep perfecting, perfecting, perfecting. It's infinity. (laughs) And so perfectionism gets in our way as it sabotages our growth. It sabotages us from even showing up, from even starting. And for a lot of us, perfectionism looks like procrastination, avoidance. How many of you out there can't even perform a task unless you know you can do it perfectly? Here's my example, this podcast right now. I would put it off, the writing. I would avoid certain topics because I thought I didn't have enough information. I didn't have enough experience. I couldn't articulate it clear enough. All of this, not enoughness. And it would just stop me from even sharing something. Another way that perfectionism gets in our way before we even start is we see the end product as the most important part of the undertaking. And so our focus is less on the process of learning or even completing the task to the best of our ability. And it's only focused on the final product. That is absolutely me too. I totally resonate there. How about you? Like you just have this dream, the perfect vision of how it's going to look and feel when it's done. And you just kind of hold on to that. And when you don't get into it, when you don't start, the dream gets to stay perfect. Here's another way perfectionism gets in our way, but this time it's during, during our process. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You're over iterating, over editing, over changing, which keeps you in this loop of working, 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 busy, 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 busy. And you think that the busy work is good work because it's towards perfection. Here's the thing. You never get it finished. And then what happens? That project, that post, that conversation you need to have, that run, that beautiful meal that you wanted to create, who knows what it is, but you have just kept changing it until it lost its spirit. It lost its momentum. You just kind of cramped its styles and crushed it. So many of us take a lot of time to complete a task that shouldn't. And then what happens there? We fall behind that idea of perfect timing. And then what happens there? We feel like failures. Oh my gosh. I know this loop very familiarly. And then we'll get hard on ourselves. Oh, why? Why can't I? Why could, why couldn't I just? And we beat ourselves up for either not getting it done fast enough, not being able to get it done right off the bat, not being able to do it perfectly at the first shot. I got to tell you a confession. There are episodes here that I've been really trying to take a less perfect approach to this podcast. And I've been beating myself up. I could start writing and I would edit even the slightest word. Should it be a this or that? Should be an and or a but? And getting hung up on grammar and semantics and, but that's not who I am. I don't even speak perfectly. So how could I expect myself to write perfectly and then read perfectly? It's just not natural. It's actually against the intention that I set here, which is funny. Perfection actually takes away from our intention to be authentic, doesn't it? 
And so we keep iterating, editing, changing in the idea that all of this is going to make it perfect. And we burn ourselves out from all this fuss and fear about the flaws, trying to hide it, trying to push it under the rug, trying to dust it away, clean it away. Is it dirty? Do we think that our imperfections are dirty? Do they disgust us? Are we ashamed of them? I guess this kind of goes back to what Brene Brown says about the blame and the shame and the judgment. We do it to ourselves. We do it to each other. This is what perfectionism does to us. It's ugly. (laughs) And then here's the third stage of perfectionism. In the after, okay, so say you've delivered what you had to do. Say you had that, you finally applied for that job and you did the interview. Or say you cooked that meal that you've never tried before and everyone's finished eating it. Or say you have worked on that project, you poured your heart and soul into that piece of writing and now it's out into the world. Now it's only you in the world. And you find yourself criticizing, reflecting, and learning. Criticizing, reflecting, and learning. And then it starts to become over-criticizing, over-reflecting, over-learning. It gets in the way of accepting what happened and learning from it so that we can move on to the next thing. We just get caught in another loop of perfecting after the thing has been done. And then it takes us so long to recover because we've traumatized ourselves that we might not even try again. We might not even show up for ourselves again. Here's the other part of it is we don't even see our task is finished until the result is perfect according to our standards. And when we do that, we don't get that sense of accomplishment. We can't celebrate the effort. We don't even see it as an achievement. We don't even think that we got where we were working towards. We didn't reach our goal. So all that effort, what happened to it? Wow, perfectionism. I have been thinking about perfectionism and it's funny, my picture of perfectionism looks like the Grim Reaper. (laughs) A black cloak, a huge stick with like a sharp thingy on the end. What is that thing called? It's not an axe. Anyway, it's something that can chop off your head. And that's exactly what my perfectionism does. It chops off my head. It cuts me down at my knees. It cuts me down. And here's the thing. When my perfectionism pulls back its cloak, she kind of looks like a Barbie doll. Sometimes she's tall and blonde and perfect skin, perfect shaped eyes, perfectly symmetrical face. Her voice is pleasing. She always says the right thing. She never stumbles over her words. She never says, um, or hmm. She puts perfect effort into everything that she does. She is 100% consistent. She never gives up. She is super diligent. You see how she's like perfect and Nobody's perfect. She's the perfect mom, the perfect wife, the perfect friend. Think about all of the ways you have come to believe what is the perfect mom, perfect friend, perfect woman, perfect you. And you'll start realizing how separate this person is from the person you actually want to become. That actually blew my mind. Doing that exercise with myself blew my mind. So what's at risk if you're not perfect? 
I think for many of us, it's people will realize we have flaws, that we are weak. We have weaknesses. We are not weak, but we have weaknesses. That's for sure. And maybe sometimes we are weak and that's actually okay. But what do we fear? We fear that we will be judged for it. We believe taking advantage for our weaknesses. We show signs of insecurity and that insecurity makes us believe that we won't be successful. Or perhaps if you're not perfect, what's at risk there? You're going to get rejected like the weakest link. Goodbye. Nobody wants to be rejected. That's built right into us. Well, on the flip side, though, what's at risk if your perfection takes priority over everything else? Ask yourself that. If choosing perfection over everything else, what will I lose? What will you lose? For me, if I chose to be perfect, like Barbie doll perfect, I'd be betraying my true self, right? Come back to that idea of what you think is the perfect mother or wife or CEO or leader or artist or singer, whatever you want to be. What is the perfect or whatever you already are. What have you put in your head is the perfect vision of that? I'm going to wager that if you chose that vision over who you picture your true best self to be is, they are not aligned. What else is at risk if you choose perfection over everything else? I wouldn't become my perfect self as defined by me and co-created by me and my creator instead of manufactured by me and my society. I wrote that down and I'm sharing that with you because I think when we choose perfection over anything else, we're choosing patriarchy, we're choosing misogyny, we're choosing those colonized beliefs, we're choosing those defaults that we've learned, that we've internalized. We're choosing somebody else's standards, values. That's what happens when we choose perfection over everything else. We also lose sight of what we're really good at. When we are focused on perfection, that idea of perfection, we can only see the flaws. Again, this comes back to that all or nothing thinking. You have to be perfect. So if you're thinking about what's not perfect, you're not going to see what's actually really good in you, which becomes a loss to the world. Because then the world misses out on the benefits of you sharing your strengths and unique gifts. You working in your zone of genius. And what happens then? We lose our power. We are handing our power over to the illusion of perfection. The Grim Reaper. The Barbie Grim Reaper. (laughs) And the final biggest thing that I believe we miss out on when perfection takes priority over everything else you miss the present moment. The closest thing to perfection is actually your ability to be fully present. Because in the present moment is exactly what we're supposed to experience, is all the gifts that we need in that moment in time. And without any distracting thoughts or measuring or, or grading ourselves, we're free to really be in the moment. It's in the moment when we are truly, truly alive. When all that comparing, perfectionism, all or nothing thinking isn't there. But the thing is, our perfectionist thinking, when it is there, it takes us away from the present moment. It has us busy either critiquing the past, replaying our decisions, 
worrying about the future or frantically hiding any imperfections. The perfectionist in us, remember, picture her, the Grim Reaper, the Barbie doll. She's never really present. She's too busy judging because she has this incessant need to change the imperfect reality. She wants to like chop you down at your knees. Isn't that ironic though? Because perfection is the ability to be fully present, but that same perfectionism robs us from the very life we're trying to achieve. That blows my mind. I recently learned an analogy from a guy named Chris Doe. He's an Emmy award-winning designer, director, CEO, and strategist. And he teaches people how to make a living doing what they love. That's why I follow him, because I want to make a living doing what I love, which is this podcast, which is coaching authentic people. Anyway, I also want to be an artist if I can add that too. Anyway, he calls this analogy the mirror mask. And it sounds like this. We all walk around with a mask that reflects the world. We each have a conflated vision of who we are and who we're supposed to be. And we think we're better looking or taller or skinnier or prettier and smarter. And so we try to hold this mask up in the world as we move around. And as you know, when you have to hold something up, it takes a lot of energy. Like imagine yourself walking through a masquerade wall and you have to hold your mask the whole entire night. If you're holding your mask with, say, your right hand, you have to have one drink in your left hand. How are you going to, like, imagine all the things that you want to be doing, but you have to keep holding this mask. And the more layers to this mask, the heavier it becomes, the tiring it is, because holding on to things takes away your energy. This part is kind of my added thing from Christos. I'm just building on the analogy. But what he says is like, holding a mask takes a lot of effort. But the thing is, the thing about this mirror mask is that the world already sees you for exactly who you are. And they can choose to either accept you or reject you. And then we have to be okay with that. Trying to hold up a certain image, a mask, that consumes a lot of our energy. And the thing is, people already know that you're doing it. Trying to look like you know everything or you are perfect. People already know that you have flaws because we all do. So this mirror mask analogy is asking you to, hey, what would life be like if you put down that mask and showed your true self? Maybe you'd have more energy to become that better version of yourself, to really live up to your own potential, to take on those challenges and fail at them miserably and be okay because you can recover faster. You have the energy to do so. I'm feeling this mirror mask a lot in this journey through podcasting and starting my own business. There's like a way that podcasters should be or look, at least in my mind. I see like all those podcasters out there who also happen to be life coaches and they talk about certain topics and they share it in a certain way. Like, but if I try to be like them, I'm going to get lost in that. What was my husband saying to me today? 
It's funny. Do you take notes from the things that your husband says to you? I did today. He said some really good stuff to me today. Here's what Yusik said to me. He said, you can do things conventionally, but then you're going to get lost in convention. And if you believe that you are meant to stand out, then convention isn't your path. I've been really struggling with this as my, in my podcast because, I don't know, I haven't heard someone approach it this way. And maybe somebody else, but I haven't. So this is actually a very unique experience for me and for you, dear muse. All right, so here I'm going to offer you some of my anti-perfectionism practices because I've been leaning into these hard over, I'd say, the last eight months. There's three of them here that I'm going to share with you. Even though there's a car going on in the background, I think that's okay. All right, so number one, anti-perfectionism practice. Be cringe-worthy. I shared this on Instagram a while ago. And what is cringe-worthy? It means that you can be cringy. You can do things and say things that are cringy and still be worthy. That's what makes you cringe-worthy. doesn't mean you have to be cringed about. It means you are worthy despite the cringe. This is like my approach to self-radical self-acceptance. To just meet yourself where you are, knowing that if you're starting something new, trying something different, you're not starting from scratch. You have all those years of experience and knowledge and skills behind you, with you right now. And in this moment, you have a vision of where you want to go. You are not in a place of nothing. Like really accepting where you are what you have to move forward with. And the other acceptance part is, it's not going to be pretty. I actually read this verse from Julia Cameron's The Artist Way. Remember that even if you have made a truly rotten piece of art, it may be a necessary stepping stone to your next work. Art matures and requires ugly duckling growth stages. Actually, <laughs> here's a confession. There's a word here that I don't really know how to pronounce correctly, and that's why I skipped over it, but I'm going to do it again. Art matures spasmodically, spasmodically. Art matures spasmodically and requires ugly duckling growth stages. And remember, you are a muse. Whether you identify as an artist or an accountant or a doctor or a lawyer or business analyst, it doesn't matter what your job is. I'm saying your life is a work of art because you are a muse. And remember that even if you have made a truly rotten piece of art, meaning a mistake or a choice or whatever in your life, it is a necessary stepping stone to your next step, to your next growth. If this is the ugly duckling growth stage, then hey, if we know that the swan is coming, then let's live it. Let's like really have fun in our ugly gray feathers <laughs> and our funny squawks. Oh my gosh, I love baby swans. They're just so funny. I've always thought of myself as an ugly duckling. When I was a kid, I really felt like I was the ugly duckling among the really pretty ducks. I still believe that I could be in that stage. I'm going to be a swan and you are too. All right, so that's self-acceptance. Be cringeworthy. Number two, to anti-perfectionism practice. 
let your perfect self die. Yusik asked me during this time of my radical self-expression with this podcast, and he's like, what do you think is going to happen to you? Are you going to die? And I said to him, no, I'm I'm not going to die. Like, I'm not going to have a heart attack and die by putting out a really cringeworthy podcast. But what will die is people's, that perfect self, that idea of me, that perfect person that I've put out into the world, she's going to die. You, that relationship that you might have to that perfect person that I put out in the world, that's going to die. Like that question that comes up is, what will they know of me once they know this? Once they know I'm not perfect? So we got to let that perfect self die. That default self. Not our true self. The self that others expected, perceived, were even deceived maybe of us to be. So that our true self can come to the table. Our true self can come alive. So we got to let that perfect self die. That is so hard. And then three, the number three anti-perfectionism practice that I've been doing is trusting that you're already perfect. This is radical trust, my friends. This is believing that you are designed perfectly. You are at this point in your life at the perfect moment. Everything is where it's supposed to be in the big scheme of the universe. That takes radical trust. And with that radical trust, then you can be an example of confidence to those around you. You show up saying, hey, here I am. This is me. Take me for what I am. Who I was meant to be. And if you give a damn, take me, baby, or leave me. Take me, baby, or leave me. I love this quote from Shakti Gawain. I hope I said her name right. The universe will reward you for taking risks on its behalf. You being your most authentic self is a risk. I know it. I live it too. But we are in partnership with the universe. The universe is us. We are the universe. And by being your most authentic self is the greatest risk, but is in action with the universe. So here's another quote from her. We will discover the nature of our particular genius when we stop trying to conform to our own or to other people's models, learn to be ourselves, and allow our natural channel to open. You can serve the world by offering your strengths and your weaknesses. By doing this, it gives people permission to do the same. I call this compassion in action, and it feels so good when we can show up and be a representation of what we know is possible and what we believe can better our world. I really, truly believe that living our authentic truths, being our authentic selves, that is what we need to heal our world. And I also want to share a few quotes by Alok Ved Menon in their book, Beyond the Gender Binary. They wrote, the days that I feel most beautiful are the days that I am most afraid. They tell us to be ourselves, but if you listen closely, there's more to that sentence. They say, be yourself until you make them uncomfortable. What I get from that quote is that, hey, anti-perfectionism, is that making you feel uncomfortable? Very. 
Is that freaking you out? Very much so. That's what it means to know that you're on the right path. You believe that being perfect will make you happy. And we've learned to believe this. And we've spent more time, energy, and money buying into this idea of perfect. But what would happen if we didn't? What would happen if we allow ourselves to experiment and flop and flounder and wonder and find our own way through the messy middle? Speaking of the messy middle, actually, I've started another creative venture to offer you more about being in this place because I see us, dear muse, as on our journey. This is our process. We are progress. We are not a product. We are not an end result. The end is our death. (laughs) And our life is never captured in just one moment. Our life is captured in the whole. So I've created a newsletter, a love letter called Muse in the Middle. And it's on Substack. I will leave a link for it in the show notes. And it's just going to be writing from me that might be quite vulnerable and clunky. And that is my effort in editing less, radical (laughs) self-expression, radical self-acceptance that I want to be a writer, so I got to write. But it doesn't mean I'm a good writer right now, right? But I know that by practicing, I'm getting better. And radical trust. When I show up, it will happen. All right, my friends. I hope that you have been inspired to embrace anti-perfectionism. Let's just like summarize it again. Be cringeworthy, dear muse. Let your perfect self die. Picture her. What does she look like? Is yours a Barbie doll dressed like the Grim Reaper? And number three, trust that you're already perfect. I see you. You inspire me. And what has perfectionism done for you up until now? Where is it going to get to you moving forward? I will say once you start writing those lists, you'll realize that anti-perfectionism is going to take you and give you way more. That's it for me for today. Well, that was a longer episode than I expected, but this is a good topic. And if you have any ideas, feedback, questions, feel free to send me a note. I am on Instagram at karenchoy.co. I'll see you there. Stay true. Thank you for listening to the Secret Muse Society. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you haven't yet, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review this podcast so other modern muses like you can find us too. I invite you to continue the conversation and connect with me on Instagram at karenchoy.co. Join me next week for more secrets inspired by you. I'm Karen Choi. Until next time, stay gold. Stay gold.